Welcome to Record Crimes. In each episode, we'll be getting into anything from copyright legal battles, crimes committed by people in the music industry, and and everything everything in between. People in the music industry? Doing illegal things? Really? Jump scare right at the beginning. I'm not that scary. Um, okay. Yes, I am. Yeah, you are. I instill fear in all those that meet me. Oh, she's in a weird mood today, Sorry. huh? <laughs> we're like, oh, hi. Uh, we're like hi. thrown off today because we usually record on Saturdays during the daytime. And today is... And it is indeed a, not a Saturday today. It is Sunday, so... Clarice is in her weird whatever that was. We have just the was. Sunday scaries. I have the Sunday scaries. But I am the scaries. Clarice emulates my Sunday scaries for me. Just so she... It's like how she supports me. How was your week this week? It was good. I was busy. I worked a lot and I did not sleep a lot. That sucked. But, you know, like nothing bad happened. I felt like productive. I got... Oh, because of our conversation last week about reading more and that's like your new year's resolution Hop that you're on like, the reading yeah. train choo-choo. you know and like how we were talking about how i think i mentioned like i used to read all the time like yeah. as a kid and then i kind of fell off so that kind of inspired me to get a library card this week because in between like the two families that i nanny is a library so i'll like i'll just go in perfectly between placed. it's perfectly placed it's also a nice little relaxing spot to be not at home, you know? Yeah. So I got a library card and I got a bunch of books, which then made me change the story that I was. I know you are all set for this week. Today. And yeah. then super last minute. So last minute. New inspiration came along. It's very on brand for me. I will say that I was literally finishing this up as you got here. Um <laughs> Not stressed at all. No. Not yelling at me at all. It wasn't yelling. No, you weren't. No. She would just go, ah, I'm stressed. No, I'm, I'm excited. Like stress, ah. I'm like stress sweating. I don't know why. It just like, not only because you did like a big heavy hitter last week and you did it so well, I have to be on that level. If it makes you feel any better. I am also stress sweating, but like not stress, just sweating. Oh, okay. All the time. I mean, that's also on brand for both of us, I would say. Do you say. remember how at the place we used to work at back in Boston together, one of our coworkers would be like, hi, sweetie. Hi, sweaty. Literally. Always at me, at sweaty. Yeah. I'm sweaty. It's funny <laughs> nice because... Nice to meet you. I'm sweaty. Arguably, I'm sweatier than Clarice, <laughs> but I think Clarice just like wears a lot more tank tops and it shows more. I'm like, I've gotten good at hiding it. What I are would we be, talking about? I don't fucking know. <laughs> You know what we do have an update on, though? Oh, what? Because you sent me that post about... Oh, yeah. Evil Elmo. About Evil Elmo. Yeah, we do have an update on Evil Elmo. Someone posted it on TikTok or something? Someone posted the news article that Clarice had seen and talked about last week about the Evil Elmo, like, beware of evil cookie monster, and, like, kind of gave that whole background. Mm -hmm. And then they cut to 
them and like their friend taking a picture with with said, this person with, with said the, cookie monster with, what was his name adam sandler yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got a picture with adam sandler shows that picture um so that's fucking hilarious absolutely terrifying let's see oh how was your week what'd you do like, you worked a lot. I you're, did work a lot. You're always working. Nothing happened this week, too, that was, like, of note. I think, like, this episode might come out after the full swing of this will begin, but the Saturn return is happening for everyone. Like, notoriously a time of big changes or, like, tumultu- tumultuous. What? Why am tumultuous? I putting an R in there? Tumult. Tumultu- tumultuous. Tumultuous. Crazy. I don't know. My God, I can't do this already. But what is it supposed to do? I think it's returning in Pisces. So like people with Pisces in their chart. Hey, you fish people. Especially with all the drama. A lot of people are connecting that with like all the drama with Justin Bieber and Haley Bieber. I don't. Okay. So I've seen things about that, but I've, I've tried to keep, cause I don't know if it's real or not. It doesn't look real. All these headlines don't look real and Shut I'm up. very confused. Wait, are you really? For I'm real? for real. <gasps> we, we can dive into that for a second. Yeah, what is it? Should. What okay. is happening? Well, like... Because Selena came up again. They can't just leave <clears throat> Selena alone. Like, after they broke up, like, forever ago, there's always been, like, he still loves her, and, like, she was his first love, and you'll never get over your first love, and, like, baby, he's, like, a... <laughs> he's, like, a... He hates his wife kind of thing. That's, like, always been kind of, like, the narrative with him and Hailey Bieber. I think it doesn't help that she's a Nepo baby, so she's not really, like, known for anything, like, specific, Yeah, right? that's true. She, she just does her modeling and she yeah she models and i think she has like a makeup brand yeah she now has a cooking show which is why people were like she's copying selena gomez and like all of these mm. like old tweets are coming out about how Haley bieber when she was Haley baldwin and like young like yeah would tweet about justin and selena's relationship oh i love them hashtag like team jelena or whatever the fuck i've and, seen like, those yeah, yeah. like so people are just like, she's obsessed. There's just a lot of back and forth in these little like pieces of evidence that there's a lot of like... Yeah, see, I followed that. I followed yeah. that all the way up to like a few weeks ago when I started seeing like Haley and Bieber on the rocks. Weird yeah. things like that. And I was like, I mean, okay, I guess... just like kind of like notoriously an asshole. So like... Okay, so what was like the thing that happened most recently? Like what was the tipping um, point that we're talking here? Haley Bieber like posts a lot on TikTok and stuff because she does the influencer thing. Mm-hmm. So I guess she posted this video with like one or both of the Jenner girls and like okay. a few other of their friends. And a lot of people took it basically as her like shading Selena Gomez. And that didn't help when like after she was called out about that, like she deleted the post and like didn't really like, she was just kind of oh. like, this is ridiculous kind of thing. And Selena Gomez also kind of like adds fuel to the flame by replying to the people who have all these theories and just being like, love you. And like, she doesn't necessarily be like, like you're so right but she'll interact with the video lol yeah 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 oh no so (laughs) but then she's like taking a break from social media because it like pisses her off so much about like all of this drama like coming up yeah because it's still following her after how many years like she can't like get away from it yeah totally i just think it's so funny like the back and forth of it and it's also funny because i feel like i haven't really seen this as of late i guess because Hailey Bieber is famous, like, on her own. Yes. Doesn't, she's, like, pretty famous. Yeah. She, like, doesn't have any, like, fans. Like, there's no Stan Hailey Bieber Twitter or something like that. Yes. Do you she, know what I mean? She like, has, like, people that follow her, but, like... Or, who, like, support not her. Not a following. Yes. Selena Gomez, even if you're not, like, a Stan, like, we all grew up with her. Like, people yeah. around our age. People... And her fandom is also, like, notoriously hardcore. They're kind of cutthroat. Yeah. I it's mean, like Taylor that's fans. just, like... Well, it's just, like, hardcore 
more stands. And like, that's just stand culture as like a whole. <laughs> stand culture. You know, you're saying is. all these words and I know what you're talking about, but I also feel like such a boomer right now. Do you know what like the word stand came from? No. It actually came from like an Eminem song called Stan. And the Eminem song basically chronicles this guy who's so obsessed with Eminem. He's just like a super fan, but takes it to the extreme. At the end of the song, he ends up killing himself. And the whole whole song like turns out to be like a letter that he had written before killing himself to Eminem or like the character of like, I don't know if this is real, like that happened or or maybe it was just, you know, he's just telling telling, a story or whatever. But it was called Stan. I think it started on Twitter. We'll call like themselves stands. Like it just basically means like ride or die fan. God, but, like that's I, that where was like it originated. Amazing. That was so educational. Wow. Yeah. That um, made internet culture seem almost smart for a second. I've just been on. I think like Twitter is like the one that I've like been on the longest. Like the social media, and I just see a lot of shit. Again, I'm like very chronically online, so I'd be seeing. Well, that's good but, because yeah. I need someone in my life. To to keep me updated on pop culture. pop culture, yeah, but also the underground of the pop culture. Like, what's what's happening and then people and how they're reacting to it. Like, yeah. you have a read on both. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't get all sides of everything because your algorithm tailors it to That's like, what you true. interact with and shit like that. But I feel like I get a lot of different kinds of info and opinions and... Uh, I love seeing people while out on Twitter and shit. It's so funny. I'm like, guys, it's like really not that serious. Or like sometimes it is that serious. And I'm like, you're making great points, but you're also like, you're on Twitter. Like you're not changing someone's mind. Unless you're like, no, I suppose you're right. You're not changing anyone's mind. If anything, you're just like further reinforcing what they believe in. I I can go on about this forever. (laughs) No, but I think, I think you... From at least what you were telling me earlier. By the way, I don't know what Lissa's doing this week specifically. Oh, yeah. But I think by you talking about Bieber mm-hmm. and his girlfriend. That's a good segue. That goes perfectly into yeah. what you were going to be talking about this week. Like I was saying earlier, Clarice had inspired me all sorts of times over this past week. Not to She's toot so my own inspiring. horn. I am the most inspiring person I know. She's so influential. I wake up every morning and I look in the mirror and I'm just inspired by what I see. What is that called? Manifesting? I don't know. Clear affirmations. I just like, I don't want to hear Saturn, you talk in that voice ever again. Saturn is rising. Saturn returning. is returning. Pisces Saturn's people. Fish people. Okay. I know what I'm Enough. talking about. Anyway. <laughs> um. So she last week had an amazing episode about the murder of John Lennon and she touched briefly on like the relationship of John Lennon and Yoko Ono and that kind of got me thinking as I was like in the library because we see especially around that time and like going on a lot of musicians like male musicians who are in the spotlight and have these partners these girlfriends these wives who are not what society like wants them to be or even thinks they want them to be they blame every bad thing that ever happens to the man musician on the girlfriend. Yeah, so that just got me thinking. I was originally kind of just like looking into women's stories in the music industry, like books like that. So I got a few like that. And then I got a few books about the punk movement, like the punk music evolution. And that really got me thinking about a story that I definitely knew about, but not necessarily like fully knew about. 
it's huge in pop culture. So today I'm going to be talking to you about the life and death of Sid Vicious and Nancy yes! Spongeon. <laughs> I knew it. I didn't want to like give it. Oh, that's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I was telling her that, well, she kind of briefly described like the plot to me, but didn't give any names or anything away. And I was like, this kind of sounds like something that I studied yeah. at college and I did a report on this. So I'm really excited. Now. Yeah. Like if I you, love this. If you want to hop in or if I like, if no, just I'm, please do. I'm d- my brain cells are <laughs> dancing around here, but not enough to be like, they're not sitting down ready to do research. So yeah. I trust you though. You did many a page on this one. I did. I think the, this is like the most research I've ever done. I just like recently started Vyvanse for my ADHD. I don't care. You can talk about your medications, everyone. It's okay. Everyone it's needs fine. them. Not everyone. You, You're not the only allowed. one in the world on Vyvanse. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's very helpful so far. So I think with this one, my Vyvanse was really Vyvancing. I was opening article after article and I watched this documentary. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch Who Killed Nancy because um, when I was looking into it, I was trying to figure out what documentary I wanted to watch. Like kind of like the least biased information. Okay, like some of them would be completely one-sided versus like a depiction of the whole story. And I was reading, and again, I haven't seen it, so I could be wrong, but I was reading that a lot of people felt like uh, Who Killed Nancy was like totally, Nancy was bad, Sid was good, and he didn't do a thing, you know? Like he didn't do anything wrong or something like that. Like that's obviously a general statement. So I found this one called Sad Vacation. So when I was looking it up, it had both Sid's friends and associates and Mm-hmm. also friends or people that hung out with Nancy okay. as well. I like all that insight. And they also had some good like court document, things like that. A nice timeline. So I guess I'll just like get going. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Okay. I'm, getting, all right. I'm all comfy. Okay. I'm ready. You're good? Tell me a story. All right. Um, right. I'm going to just preface this because I was really digging into a lot of information. A lot of these articles that I used were like opinion pieces and like kind of pulling from each other a lot of the sources all kind of tied back to like each other did they all like cite each other yeah like yeah yes or even like on wikipedia like they were all kind of sourcing like the same set of articles like the main ones i would like to like start with talking about just punk rock in general and the movement and i know that it's a huge cultural shift not only in the music aspect but just the youth evolution you know like yeah. the, you know but I tried to keep that part a little shorter just because there is so much information about the two and the sex pistols that I would like to get into but I do want to kind of like set the scene obviously punk rock or known simply as just punk is a music genre that emerged in the mid 1970s it was kind of rooted in garage rock they use the term like trash culture which is basically just like things that other people normally would see as like trashy basically Mm -hmm. yeah grungy yeah yeah and this is like also right after the british invasion right during when rock music was like exploding yeah like and the culture of rock music all these different rock musicians trying to kind of find their niche in like a subgenre or just kind of make themselves stand out Yes. So. Because you have like the classier side of rock and roll. Mm -hmm. Then you have like the glitz and glam side of rock and roll. And then you get 
I feel like ACDC is a good mix between like grungy and kind of clean still. Mm -hmm. But then you take one step further and go like into the grunge grunge. And that I feel is like where punk kind of branched off. Yeah, definitely. I would say so too. Punk songs uh, or bands like typically produce short, fast paced songs with really hard melodies, singing styles. Sometimes there's like a stripped down instrumentation. Like there's not a lot of glitz and glam, really. It's grungy. That's really what it is. But like, it's simple. Yeah. And another part of the genre is that the lyrics or just like the messaging of the bands would be often political and anti establishment. That was like a huge part of the punk culture. Yeah. And everyone in that scene really embodied fuck the man, you know, kind of thing. Punk also embraced the DIY ethic. So, you know, many bands would self-produce and kind of be on the ground promoting their own band or through independent record labels kind of thing. So it was really like, I'm going to do this my way because I'm like the only one that can do it my way kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And they didn't want to have to work for these big record labels because, again, punk was like fuck the establishment. So the term punk rock was previously used by American rock critics in the early 1970s to describe the mid-60s garage bands. A lot of these influences that kind of were the beginnings of punk, the genre, Mm -hmm. were MC5 and Iggy and the Stooges and other bands elsewhere created out of the mainstream music. They became highly influential for what was to come. Glam rock was really big in the UK, so that was also a big influence. And the New York Dolls from New York City also were cited as being key influencers for the punk movement. Mid-70s prominent acts included Television, Patti Smith and the Ramones in New York City, Sex Pistols, The Clash and The Damned in London, and The Buzzcocks in Manchester. So a lot of this punk movement was, I would say, mainly happening in New York City Mm -hmm. and in parts of the UK. I would say mostly London, but obviously other parts have branched out. Big city, the equivalent of like the New York of the UK is London. Right. So I feel like it's like that type of like city culture. Yeah. But like a specific kind of city culture, like big city. Yeah. In this documentary and I found in other sources, the New York City punk scene was a lot more, they kind of went a little more hardcore with it, I would say. (laughs) New York? No. I know, right? <laughs> really? New yeah. York doesn't sound like that at all. I know. Nothing like little pizza rat walking across the subway. I love pizza. He's rat. probably on his way to one of these shows. I love him. <laughs> So after a brief period unofficially managing the New York Dolls, a man named Malcolm McLaren returned to London in May 1975 and kind of brought parts of the New York punk scene that he was inspired by over. And he is notable because he co-owned the store Sex with Vivian Westwood. It had a huge reputation for like outrageous, quote, anti-fashion okay so So, it was a fashion like a store like clothing store yeah it was yeah it was a fashion clothing store and like by the late 1970s probably like mid 
1970s, punk became like a major cultural phenomenon in the UK, kind of like exploded. It led to a punk subculture expressing youthful rebellion through distinctive styles of clothing, such as deliberately offensive t-shirts, leather jackets, studded or spiked bands and jewelry, safety pins and bondage and S&M clothes. Okay. So a lot of that was coming from Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood's store, Sex. Gotcha. That's kind of fun. Yeah. So it was kind of just like, let's be as edgy and, and offensive like, and offensive as possible. To others. <laughs> like, I think, I don't know if I, I forget if I like wrote this in there, but I think in a lot of interviews in this documentary, you can see Sid Vicious wearing a t-shirt with a swastika on it, which oh, I don't agree with, but yeah, he was, that's a bit he much. was like noted as being even hardcore for people in the punk scene. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll get into him a little more. In a moment, a major part of the punk lifestyle was being authentic. People would call each other like posers. Mm. So everyone was a fucking poser, like to the punks. Like yeah. even other punks, they were like, you're not authentic. You're a fucking poser. This was like applied to those who adopted like the stylistic attributes, but did not share or understand its underlying values. Okay. So, so they're like, like oh, I like all these studs, but you know, I still, I still fuck with the man. Yes. Yeah. And they were like, you're a poser. And they, it's, yeah. Scholar Daniel S. Traber, Traber? I'm going to say Traber, is quoted saying that attaining authenticity in the punk identity can be difficult. As the punk scene matured, he observes eventually everyone got called a poser at some point. That checks out. You kind of almost have to like prove yourself to be a punk, <laughs> you know? which I love. I love that, yeah. <laughs> I love it a lot. But it was also like known as a place where these people who felt like they were like rejected from quote normal society could go and right. feel accepted or feel like they could be themselves or kind of just like let loose. Yeah. So it was it was a really big movement in society. Yeah. Well, and it gave, I mean, talking from, you know, a youth's perspective, finally having some sort of like pop culture yeah. reference that reflects, you know, your outcast mm -hmm. like feels. You're like, oh, here's a bunch of outcasts that are popular and now there's a community for it. Yeah. Like that's very empowering. Yeah, totally. And they were all about like kind of the establishment quote, like doesn't care about us, you know, or anyone really and right like, fuck them and saying it for and saying, everyone to yeah, hear so exactly. now you know they're actually expressing how they feel without fear of you know repercussion right totally just like an unapologetic what lifestyle. it means to have freedom of speech right and actually have it right but i won't say that i approve of sid vicious's yeah, not the um, swastika shirt. Absolutely not. He he that's said he punk. like that's he said he like wore it as evil. like a statement, as like kind of like a almost ironic statement. Yeah, but uh, when you think about it, even if you were trying to make this statement. It doesn't matter because you're walking around with a fucking hate. There's other ways to make it. a. There's a very yeah. like if you still want to make a like a statement on top of a statement, there are plenty of other ways to do it that don't involve yeah like hate memorabilia. Right, but as I'll get into, Sid Vicious was always just trying to be extreme, be over the top. How dramatic. Yeah, a little drama. So um, <laughs> let me talk about a little bit of Sid Vicious's uh, life. 
Let's do it. So his real name is John Simon Ritchie. He was born on May 10th in 1957 to John and Anne Ritchie. She was, she has two last names. I think she was then Anne Ritchie, but then she married someone else with, and changed her last name to Beverly. Okay. So it was both, but Anne had dropped out of school and joined the British Army where she met Sid's father. Shortly after Sid's birth, he and his mother moved to Ibiza. So they went expecting to be joined by his father who never appeared and like, like provided zero financial support so he was just like goodbye and they're just stranded on Ibiza not in a fun way yeah basically okay so Anne then reportedly sold marijuana to get by there is a lot of information about Anne describing her as also going through a lot of trouble with addiction mostly heroin and opiates history collection recounts the time when Anne gave sid heroin as a birthday present as a teenager yeah no yes and also the way that she would use him as a mule to smuggle drugs when he was a toddler so we don't really like Anne. No, that's that's terrible. It's awful. Like, I understand that her circumstances are dire, but you don't need to tape drugs to your child. Toddler. I would like you to keep that in mind just for later. Okay. But eventually they made their way back to the UK. They kind of moved to a few different places in the UK, just all Mm -hmm. around. But by 1973, Anne's life was consumed by addiction, heroin and opiates, to the point where she was unaware that her son was attending college. Oh no. Yeah. So the college that he was attending is now known as Westminster, Westminster? Yeah. Kingsway College, but then when he was going to it, it was known as Kingsway College of further education and it was a community and vocational school for students with difficulties okay while at kingsway sid indicated to a counselor that he was contemplating suicide he was just not in a good place yeah not in a good place he had obviously had a rough childhood like Mm -hmm. even the stuff i could find was minuscule but that honestly is enough yeah that says enough yeah when Sid turned 16 that year Anne kicked him out of her home in an interview with Anne in 1988 she says quote I remember saying to him it's either you or me and it's not gonna be me I have to try to preserve myself and you just fuck off he said I've got nowhere to go and I said I don't care what a mom. Yeah. So Jeez, that is so I mean, good for him for like, you know, trying to go to school and, you know, be there and show up despite everything at home. Granted, he probably would rather be anywhere else yeah. besides being home. Right. That's true. Also that same year, like so when he was like sixteen, Sid started hanging out with his friends, notably a fellow Kingsway student named John Lydon, who introduced him to his other friends, John Gray and John Wardle. All four became locally known as the Four Johns. <laughs> Wait, I kind of like that. That's I know, fun. it's fun. <laughs> Three of the Four Johns would have then taken nicknames. So like around that time when they're all hanging out, they're all mm-hmm. friends or whatever, they gave each other nicknames because they're all named John, so I can assume. Yeah. But that got pretty confusing for a while. So <laughs> I'm going to start calling them by their nicknames as okay. as I am to How they're known, Sid Vicious. To the, yeah, it's yeah. like Sid Vicious got his nickname after he was bitten by Leiden's hamster named Sid. Sid the hamster was named after like Sid Barrett from uh, Pink Floyd. Okay. But I guess what it, the story was that he got bit by his hamster and they were like, oh, Sid's so vicious. And then they were like, ha ha ha, Sid vicious. And thus Sid vicious was born. Not that this relates at all, but 
I don't know of any other time to share a vicious hamster-themed story. No, hamsters scare me so bad. Have I shared this one with you, maybe? No, maybe, actually. Okay, well, warning. (laughs) I had a friend growing up when we were like younger Mm -hmm. and her and her cousin I believe they were you know at home I don't know I think they're being babysat or something like that but their parents weren't home that Mm -hmm. was like the big part of it and they had two hamsters and so that day was time to get the hamsters a bath so they you know they gave them a bath and stuff and they're drying them off and they're like ah it's taking forever to dry them off you bathe hamsters they just like washed them, I guess. I that. But they're like, oh, they're they're little, they're so fluffy, and it's taking forever to dry them off with a towel. So why don't we just put them in the microwave? <gasps> and you know they did, and then you just it, apparently there was a pop and crying, and then the parents came home to find that it was a little bit mortifying. But there's a little childhood story. About a vicious hamster story. Bro. Anyway, tangent. Ew, okay. That reminds me of that tweet <laughs> that's like, I've never heard of like a hamster owner not being traumatized by their hamster's death. <laughs> yeah. That checks out. A vicious hamster? I know one. John Lydon, uh, his bandmate, guitarist Steve Jones, gave him the name Johnny Rotten, apparently because his teeth were really gross. Oh. And then Sid nicknamed John Wardle, Jawabble. I love the names. <laughs> it sounds like someone is saying it with an accent. No, it does. Jawabble. Jawabble. They all quit school and began like squatting and kind of being in the scene almost of just like the okay. rebellious teen type of thing and then eventually into like the punk movement. So yeah, they ended up starting to hang around quite often the King's Road in Chelsea, London. And this was like the epicenter of the rise of music and fashion around this time in London. The favorite spot of those four was the McLaren and Westwood clothing store Sex. Okay. Which so, is on that street. Yeah. Gotcha. So the Sex Pistols. According to Johnny Rotten, he and Vicious took up busking around the time they dropped out of school with Johnny Rotten singing and occasionally playing the violin and Vicious playing a tambourine or an acoustic guitar. I also want to make note, Sid Vicious, with any instrument that he plays, I've never seen anyone say that he knows how to play the instrument very well. Okay, I was about to ask, like, when does, like, the, the music come into their lives? Like, because now they've just been... I think they both were really into music, okay. obviously, but in the documentary, a few of his friends were like, he. it's not like he was doing scales and things like that. <laughs> like, he was just, it was the energy that he brought, yeah, I think. that's fair. Sure. Something about the pump, like, punk scene doesn't give me, you know, very regimented music. I mean, it's kind of punk rock to be like, I don't yeah. know how to play this. I'm, I don't know I'm doing it music. anyway. <laughs> Not even read music, just like fully play an instrument. Anyway. So like all the tutoring that I did in college, <laughs> all those kids are arguably punk students. They're punks. When they were busking, people reportedly gave them money to stop or go somewhere else. <laughs> That's how bad. So in 1975, uh, Johnny, I keep almost saying Johnny Rocket. <laughs> Not the milkshakes. (laughs) The milkshakes. Johnny Rotten joined Steve Jones, Glenn Matlock, and Paul Cook in the formation of the band The Sex Pistols, and that band was managed by Malcolm McLaren. Okay. I read on a few different sites that the band had already kind of been formed pre-Johnny Rotten going into it, but it wasn't The Sex Pistols, and I wasn't really sure. It had, like, a bunch of different information, whatever. Gotcha. So this is, like, when it became The Sex Pistols. Gotcha. Um, McLaren envisioned the Sex Pistols as like central players in this 
new movement because they were hard and tough. Mm -hmm. As described by a critic, John Savage, the band members, quote, embodied an attitude to which McLaren fed a new set of references. Late 60s radical politics, sexual fetish material, pop history, youth sociology, etc. Yeah. McLaren obviously had a vision and especially being inspired by the New York punk scene and like what was going on there and then coming back and kind of seeing how that was progressing Mm -hmm. in the UK. I think he had a very specific image image of how he wanted this to go absolutely back to sid in 1976 vicious co-founded a band called the flowers of romance they never recorded anything or really performed like shows although i did read that some songs they had written were performed by like other bands okay so it was like kind of a short short thing at around that same time sid was the number one sex pistols fan he went to every single show he was always like front row Mm -hmm. which i think is kind of cute like like supporting his friend yeah Yeah. but he was like encouraged to run wild he was constantly drunk he's also noted as being the inventor of the pogo dance which is especially in like the punk scene like you know yeah 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 it it is exactly how it sounds yeah in many different articles was noted as like he was the guy that made that a thing he just bobbed up and down Mm -hmm. man yeah and he also like came out with a lot of statements that defined the punk movement and even the punk styles according to those close to him in his early days in that scene the punk in general had like a pretty open style so like Mm -hmm. i was saying earlier like come on you weirdos and outcasts you do you many people said that like sid kind of cemented the punk style like the leather jacket spiky hair he was noted as the caricature of punk yeah kind of like the the face of punk. yes poster child the poster you... child of punk i saw that not only in the documentary but also in a lot of these articles where okay. he was like he defined it even more in to this fashion specific... attitude mm-hmm. look everything sid started to enter the public domain during the spring of 76 he was pictured at a nashville pub in april watching the sex pistols attack their audience yeah i don't they were just the sex pistols were already trying to be outrageous in this already outrageous scene yeah he was implicated in the violence there and he was also implicated in the violence directed at journalist nick kent during a sex pistol show at the 100 club nick kent actually played guitar with the sex pistols really early on okay and had left to become a new musical express music critic at this specific (laughs) show i guess according to kent he was apparently blocking sid's view or something like that and Sid high on speed lashed out and he he hit Kent in the head and the face with a rusted motorcycle chain which he reportedly carried on him often what yeah just like fully attacked him and this will not be the only seemingly unprovoked attack from Sid Vicious is that why like people wear like chains on their wallets you know that had to come from the punk scene, at least. It had to, yeah. right? So Why else you got a chain on you? <laughs> Damn. I know. It's actually not for your wallet. It's to use, apparently, against those that stand in front of you. So all you concert goers, you better put a chain on your wallet. Promoting good behavior. Totally. In September of 76, Vicious appeared with Uzi and the Banshees playing drums at their first gig at the 100 Club's punk special in London's Oxford Street. And that was a two-day festival that was, like, co-founded by McLaren. 
So Sid's playing drums now? He's playing, yeah, he's playing. And I actually think a video of this performance specifically was in the documentary and I, he was bad. He was not good. He was just like playing something really simple or then he would start like hitting the drums and then putting his hands up, hitting the wall and doing that back and forth for like a while. Like he was just, what? He just wanted, I think he really just wanted to like be on stage and be that kind of like have yeah. that lifestyle, you know? Yeah. So anyway, on the following day at this two day yeah. festival, he went to a performance of the band The Dams. He was drunk and high on amphetamines. Amphetamines. And he hurled a glass or a glass bottle on stage attempting to strike the lead singer. He did miss, but the glass shattered against a pillar and blinded a concert goer, a woman in one eye. Jeez. Yes. He was arrested for that and imprisoned, but he got out pretty quickly. It was said that also like this kind of contributed to the 100 Club banning punk bands from performing at their shows. Like I think they were just like too much, too much. Can't deal with the bands fighting people, and we yeah. can't deal with the people fighting with the bands. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a lot of fighting. In February of '77, McLaren announced that Glenn Matlock had been quote thrown out of the band because he quote liked the Beatles. <gasps> What a poser. No, dude, there was a lot of information, like conflicting information no. about why Glenn Matlock was leaving the band. No. And one of them was because Glenn's mom didn't like the songs because they were too like against the queen or something like that, I'm which is my favorite reason. And I screaming. want that to be the reason. <laughs> he walks into his house. He's got all those like royal family plates up on the wall. Yeah. And is like super sex. No. Matlock did say like he's quoted as saying he quit because because he was sick of all the whatever, the bullshit. Which I mean is um, equally yeah. valid, but also yeah, but all a poser. Of, yeah, all of the band members did agree that there was continual tension throughout the band, um, but specifically through between Matlock and Johnny Rotten. Matlock says that these tensions were aggravated by McLaren, who wanted to generate chaos in the band as like a creative to boost creativity or something. Yeah. They're like, um, or like city. building the band's image. It was almost just like he was fueling the flame because it was something to talk about. Yeah. He wanted Matlock to leave and replaced him with Vicious, saying, quote, if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, then Vicious is the attitude, which I think that quote kind of like really sums it up so absolutely there's also another quote by Ja Wobble Sid was offered up as a sacrificial lamb by the people around the pistols none of them would have ever gone over the top he was their kamikaze pilot and they were all too happy to strap him in and send him off I think personally they saw this kid he's a kid yeah. like he's like in his late, late teens, teens. Probably like 18 yeah around this time and they see he's obviously vulnerable a lot. That was the word that I saw over and over again. Like he was an always like just vulnerable and like really sensitive, which I get, but <laughs> aren't we all? But in my opinion, I think a lot of people in this scene saw this and kind of latched on to like how he just genuinely didn't seem like he cared about his own well-being and was able to kind of like do these crazy extreme things just because he didn't care, you know? Yeah. A lot of people stated that the only thing that he cared about was drugs and eventually nancy 
Yeah. Let me get into Nancy now. What a great segue. Yeah. In her early life. She was born February 27th in 58 to a middle-class Jewish family to Frank and Deborah Spungen. Her mother, Deborah, wrote a biography called And I Don't Want to Live This Life. There seemed to be a lot of controversy about this book. And a lot of Nancy's early life's information, almost all of it that I saw, was from this book written by her mother. And a lot of these quotes are very, very harsh. And there's a lot of people, I wouldn't say a lot of people, there's people in the scene or like people who have researched this who don't necessarily, I don't want to say believe Deborah's account of Nancy's life. Yeah. But I don't know. So it was a lot of it was really harsh. Like she would be quoted saying like in the book, Nancy was from an early age, her main purpose was to like ruin things or something like that. You know, like it was just like really harsh shit like that. Especially from like a mother's perspective, you'd think there'd be a bit more, I don't know, even if you have like a destructive kid, I know plenty of moms that would still, you know, almost be in denial. Yeah. There's a lot of criticism on Deborah. People are like, well, she must have had something wrong with her too or like whatever. But you know, neither of them are I actually I think there's Deborah's always alive. usually a but reason why a kid is lashing out you know yeah okay so in this book she recalls Nancy's birth as very traumatic Nancy was born with like the umbilical cord wrapped around her neck mm. nowadays there's a lot of research showing that that lack of oxygen especially at birth can contribute to maybe like aggressive behavior like it affects, growing up you know brain development yeah exactly deborah stated that she believed that there was something wrong with nancy almost from the moment that she brought her home she stated that nancy cried constantly as a baby and hysterically she stated quote i know it's normal for babies to cry but nancy did nothing but scream I read in some sources that this was even noticed at the hospital where she would just scream and cry and cry and cry. Nancy, growing up, suffered from scary tantrums and was said to be a danger to her siblings. Around the age of four, her mom took her to a doctor or psychiatrist to talk to them about it and they gave her phenobarbital. Do you know what that is? I've heard of it, yes. It's like a, it's a sedative. I was going to say, it's like a very heavy sedative. It's a very heavy sedative and it's usually used to like treat epilepsy, but I think even now it's not widely used because it's like, it's a very... It's very unregulated. Yes. And she was four That's terrible. Yeah, so obviously that did not help. And when I was reading about, like, Nancy's life, again, a lot of this came from, like, her book, but Nancy, like, just seemed to be on some form of, like, prescription drug or any other drug for the rest of her childhood. Mm, Like, always medicated. Yeah, and, but, like, not a lot of it was, like, helping like no, she was, was still more like, just like sedated just yeah. to like almost prevent her from lashing out or like yeah but not even that because like a lot of times it just like didn't work right. she was stated as threatening her babysitters with scissors or like trying to go up against her psychiatrists fighting them and just like she obviously was lashing out a lot from like a very early age and it seemed like a lot of people in her life failed to intervene at 11 nancy was expelled from public school after not being there for like a few weeks probably on top of her just like normal behavior but it's also stated in a lot of sources that nancy was very smart a few of her friends in the documentary actually noted this a few times and one of them said that her iq was very very high i don't know how they would check that i don't know i don't know how many people know their iq especially she's very bright very smart She was then sent to a boarding school in Connecticut for children with behavioral 
issues or like other special needs. Like, okay. Like a therapeutic boarding school, basically. Okay. She graduated at the age of 16. She also spent some time in like a mental institution and it was said that she was diagnosed with schizophrenia as a teen, which I... I my understanding of schizophrenia is, is that it develops in your like twenties or something. There could be like signs leading up to it. I thought it was more it came on later in life. Interesting. I don't know enough about it. I know that could, I could just be pulling that out of my ass, but but I, I also understand like your caution as to like diagnosing a child who's not even finished developing yet yeah. with something as severe as that when it could be honestly a number of other things. I didn't read anything about any other symptoms of schizophrenia that she was having. Okay. So at 16 or 17, she attended the University of Colorado very briefly okay. for like five months. Um, she ended up dropping out and she moved to New York City. Okay. And she arrived right as, like, the punk movement was blowing up in New York City. But also, the heroin epidemic in New York City was also blowing up. Blowing up. Yes. She supported herself during this time. Again, she's 17, 18 Mm -hmm. around this time. Go-go dancing or, like, stripping. I found a lot of different things. Or, like, sex work. Um, She also sold drugs, mostly to musicians. Okay. Specifically things like heroin or other opiates. But I also read that she did some like amateur music journalism and some odd jobs at clothing stores or things like that. So. Okay. And it seemed like from her friends' interviews that she really didn't want to be doing the dancing and the mm-hmm. sex work, you know. Right. Um, She's trying to be like financially stable in a new place after dropping right. out of school. Yeah. Throughout like, I think even before she moved to New York City, she had obviously like a fascination with rock bands, you know. Yeah. So she, I think, set her sights. She's like, I want to be a groupie and I'm going to be the best damn groupie there ever, ever was. Yeah. In her free time, after all these other jobs that she has, became a groupie and followed rock bands such as Aerosmith, Bad Company, the New York Dolls, and the Ramones. She reportedly by herself and many others bought drugs for the musicians uh, and the bands. And like brought it to them. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of names of people who knew her in the scene. She very quickly built up a reputation. In the punk scene that was supposed to be open or for people like against the grain, she even seemed ostracized like and in the middle of it at the same time. So most of her fellow groupies were like very turned off by her very crass exterior. But the groupies kind of hated her and like the people kind of in the scene, but then the musicians like kept her around because one, she was dealing these drugs right and two a lot of them did have some nice things to say about her they were like she's nice yeah she has this hard exterior but she also could be nice like if she really wanted to again it's like it's for the drama it's for something to talk about a lot of words oh i made a list of words that i came across to describe her are you looking at a picture of her i am i wanted to i as you're like describing all this i was like yes let me look okay so words i came across to describe her were obnoxious strong abrasive difficult super groovy junky which i hate that term but like it. it came up everywhere horrible nightmare whiny depressed and suicidal in like all of these sources okay so she is obviously gaining this big reputation in like the punk and music scene like even like the normal rock scene. So in December of 76, Nancy flew to London with the Heartbreakers. Okay. Originally kind of trying to go after Johnny Rotten. She was like, 
you, but he didn't seem <laughs> interested. She later met all of the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. and obviously included Sid Vicious. Unlike the rest of the Sex Pistols band members and even the managers who were so opposed to Nancy that they actually banned her from tour at one point. Um, really? Yes. Sid Her Vi- crassness was too crass for the punk That's what scene. I mean. Sid Vicious like found her abrasive attitude very captivating. When they met, he instantly took a liking to her. And despite her reputation as a troublemaker, from then on, the couple became inseparable. This obviously caused a lot of problems with the band. The members did not like her. The crew did not like her. McLaren actually admitted to planning to have her abducted and forced onto a plane into the United States. What? And in this documentary, there was someone who told this story. I forget who. I didn't write it down. But it seemed like they actually attempted to do it. Like it not wasn't just what? a plan. The two obviously had, I'm going to say it, a very tumultuous 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 yeah got it tumultuous relationship amazing i did it twice a lot of sid's friends described him acting very differently around nancy almost kind of just like doing whatever he would say i read a few things where one time nancy was just like push that groupie down the stairs and he did it you know like just like totally words like used by his friends were like that he was sweet vicious was like not at all how he was. It was like kind of like an alter ego type thing. But then I'm reading all these stories about him like hitting people with bottles and chains and shit like that. So I'm not really sure like how accurate that is. I think a lot of the friends like in this documentary were very ride or die for him. Like they were like, he could do no wrong. Fair. Which I couldn't find a documentary that wasn't like that. Like people are very ride or die for him. Even like- It's the culture. Well, even Nancy's friends, they didn't really say too much about Sid. They just mostly talked about Nancy, but a lot of them talked about- A lot of his friends talked about him and her together. Nancy was also publicly known as this abrasive, abusive, aggressive, whatever figure, you know. But Sid was also known to have facilitated Nancy's occasional sex work and also was reportedly watched and things like that. He pimped her out? It seems like, uh, yeah. There was only like two or three articles Mm. that I could find that in, but I'm... You know, according to Johnny Rotten's wife, Nora Forrester, Sid often hit Nancy. And in their last conversation with her mother, Nancy admitted that the beatings that she had previously said were from the hands of strangers actually came from Sid. They were just known for like, it was just all around. All around. They were bad for each other. They were bad for themselves. And they just kind of sped up each other's demise. demise. Yeah. That's really what. Yeah. That's really how it came across to me. Neither of them were good for each other. Both of them needed, You don't put two people like that together. And, you know, both of them, like, self-harmed and, like, were very interested in knives. Like, having knives, using it sexually, cutting each other just during sex and things like that. You know, just an important note for later. Okay. The tabloids later dubbed Nancy as nauseating Nancy for her (laughs) frequent public outbursts. It's just, like, such an odd pairing, but also not at all because they just, like, totally fed into each other's behavior and, like, addictions Yeah, like, they worked too perfectly for each other, which is why they were so bad But only for the bad parts, you know? But I also assume that it was probably, like, his friends said that he had a lot of love for Nancy. Mm -hmm. A lot of his friends didn't think that that was mutual on her end, which, I don't know, it was just bad. It was a bad relationship. Do you think that, like, we can go on, like, analyzing both of them, but Mm -hmm. for Nancy, like, her involvement in the scene 
was just to be involved. Like she just wanted to be involved in the scene and yeah. be associated with, you know, these musicians. Yeah, she liked the culture of like sex, drug, and rock and roll, and so did Sid. Right. I think they just like I don't know. Her mission was like find like be a groupie and find someone to be a groupie for. Yeah. Because you said that she originally went for like Johnny Rock. Or, well yeah see you almost I said, said it Johnny too. Rocket. Johnny Rockets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, she I guess I I read that she like was originally trying to sleep mm-hmm. with Johnny Rock. Right, and, and then she met like, no. Sid yeah. and decided to go for that instead. Yeah, but she had really, at that point, bounced around a lot of different okay. musicians, a lot of different bands. She was a groupie. Like, she was right. there in the scene. She was very notorious. She had built up this huge reputation. Everyone knew right. who she was. Right. And likewise, you have Sid Vicious, who's very much like in this scene. Exactly, yeah. And found this girl who not only was a part of the scene in like, you know, the most punk way possible, but was also so about him. Yes. Yes. That he was like, yes. And I also, Um, well, what I was getting at was that like this culture that they're both. So like, if they're not in it for each other, they're in it for the culture, which a hundred percent by, you know, by the time you get around to like their relationship, they're already too far They're already gone. in a culture that, like, will probably dismiss, like, love as, like, you know, a social construct and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's a lot. <laughs> That's why I was, like, going on such, like, a crazy deep dive because there's just, like, so much shit and so many people writing these articles about their opinion on their relationship and, like, what they saw or what they heard, the interviews that they gathered from people. And it's just, like, they were so... Just their relationship, just them like existing together mm-hmm. was so controversial. And I think they loved that. Like oh, in absolutely. I, but <laughs> these are two people that are striving to be the most controversial. That's what I mean. Yeah. At this point, like what I'm talking about, they had really only been dating for like 19 months. Ugh. All of this is like crazy abuse and like back and forth and up and down and drug use is all happening like less than two years sick yeah a lot of people blame nancy for sid's heroin addiction i took this quote from the independent i think i actually have a few quotes from them in there that they wrote a really good article about sid and nancy while the official line was that sid's friends wanted to get him away from nancy the reality was that sid was already a liability even in a group that was aimed to shock above all else he had been a late recruit to the pistols contributing nothing to their powerful yet silly fist of anthems and helping to make the sex pistols collapse under the weight of their own dysfunctional absurdity. It was perfectly convenient for all concerned for Sid and Nancy to wander off and have their accidents together out of everybody's way. Mm, that's a gnarly quote. It is it? a gnarly quote and I, that, that's why I wanted to take it word for word because I felt like that just really encapsulated how they felt about yes. it. Um, like they were willing to be a good like band. They were willing to be good bandmates up until a certain point. Yeah. But they're like, you're going to be destructive. Well, uh, again, a lot of this was like a lot of the, um, if not all of the blame was placed on Nancy because yeah. she had already come in with this big like reputation, you know? Right. Sid even admittedly would have gotten into heroin on his own, i.e. let's let's go back to his mother Anne giving him heroin as a teen. The fact that people are like, he would have never, he said even that, 
uh, Nancy hadn't gotten him into anything that he hadn't done before. Yeah. You know, it is said though that Nancy like accelerated his addiction, which I can see like she was obviously dealing and like using. So everyone in the sex pistols is specifically blamed him for getting so addicted to heroin. And obviously that affected them because of how he was at shows and yeah. yeah. So because of their relationship, their friends, mostly Sid's friends, I guess, urged them to break up, move on, etc. Which honestly, in my opinion, only brought them closer and made them like more alienated from outside people. Because like, you know, I'm going to (laughs) speak, I'm going to speak from personal experience here. I'm going to get a little personal (laughs) here. When people are telling you to break up with your shitty boyfriend, 99.9% of the time, that's going to make you not want to talk to that friend and stay with your shitty boyfriend. Yeah. Because, or vice versa, you know, like, it's just Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's like, they both already feel outcasted enough. And then they have these people who are closest to them being like, you're doing the wrong thing, or you're not doing this, or you're not doing that. And it's, Obviously, in the, both of their natures to, to rebel. And they're like, I think that really only made them like, it's us against the world kind of mentality. Yeah, absolutely. So. And that's the punk mentality I know, also. yeah. So. It's very meta is what this is. I know, because, well, I, I do agree with like all these quotes where it's just like Sid and Sid and Nancy's like relationship was so, it was like the dark side of punk kind of thing. Eventually, like, because of all of this, I I heard that, like, or I keep saying I heard. I, like, was reading that, like, the Sex Pistols were already kind of, there was already tension going on, even before Sid joined. There's yeah. just, like, a lot of strong personalities. There, it was said that, like, Sid and also Nancy, like, their relationship sped up the demise. Uh, so they broke up um, in January of 1978. Nancy and Sid eventually moved to the Hotel Chelsea in New York City, um, which is like a pretty popular, Mm -hmm. like a lot of famous people have stayed there. Now I'm going to go into the death of Nancy Spungen. A lot of the timeline constructions were pretty vague, except for maybe like one other source and then also the sad vacation documentary Mm -hmm. so i took a lot of the timeline from that and like maybe one other source and tried to fact check as much as possible because a lot of these is like sid's friends or like nancy's friends making assumptions or telling what they experienced or like yeah i just want to say like a lot of this is like unconfirmed sid was never on trial for any of this okay thus not convicted Mm -hmm. he was arrested so around midnight on the night of october 11th in 1978 sid and nancy returned to their hotel room and i saw in some sources that they were like having a party i saw in other sources it was just the two of them but to me it kind of seemed like it was the two of them and people kind of coming in and out Okay, and this is at the hotel Chelsea. room. This is at the Chelsea in their hotel room that okay. they live in. Sid took about 30 or injected about 30 tuinols. And tuinol is like a very, very heavy sedative. It's like a sleeping pill. Okay, so he it's injected not- like 30... 30- or took it. I, I found, again, like, different okay. accounts of, like, what actually. Okay. He passed the fuck out almost immediately. It was reported that there was people coming in and out. Sid was probably asleep by 1 a.m. Okay. on this night. 
Nancy was reported to call a few people they knew for drugs as Sid was like totally passed out. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just use allegedly blanket statement when I'm talking about some of these accounts. At around 1.30, it's said that associate and bodyguard Rockets Red Glare received a phone call from Nancy asking to bring more drugs and had about $14,000 or yeah, $1,400, not 14000 God, $1,400 to spend on drugs that night. Nancy allegedly called someone else for pot later on, probably around like 2 or 3 a.m. That caller said that they heard someone else in the room that didn't sound like Sid. So again, it just seems like there was like a lot of people maybe coming in and out or mm-hmm. something like that. And then I'm I'm sorry, did you say the bodyguard's Rockets name? Rockets Red Glare. Rocket's red glare. Yeah, I didn't write Could down. Could we be action. talking about Johnny Rocket? Dude. <laughs> I just blew up my microphone. You literally did. Look at that. <laughs> I blew up my microphone. That um Johnny yeah, Rocket's the red glare. People in this story have the best fucking nicknames. Like what I don't the? I don't even think I wrote down his real you name. You don't want to catch eyes with him. Rocket's red glare. He looked a lot different than what I thought he did. Anyway. I'm sorry, I couldn't just like pass that over. <laughs> I know you can't. <laughs> so Around uh, 3 or 4 a.m., Sid was still passed out, and Rockets reported that he went to their room and started doing a drug deal. I guess there was, like, a third person who was also speaking in this documentary who was there for that drug deal. Okay. It was said that the two of them, Rockets and... I should call him Red Glare, huh? Because <laughs> this is last... Red glare, comma, rockets. Red glare. So it was reported like by this third person that uh, Nancy and Rockets Red Glare started arguing. They didn't really say what about, though. Mm-hmm. I'm, I think mostly like money. I mean, it's a deal. So yeah. you're assuming that they're bartering. Yeah. That was like 3 or 4 a.m. that uh, Rockets said that that happened. Around 5 a.m., a bellman named Kenneth West checked mm-hmm. in the room due to noise complaints of la- a loud and unruly Sid, who then confronted Kenneth physically. Kenneth also reported that uh, Sid was either, quote, either bleeding from the mouth or the nose, I couldn't tell. So he was just, like, bloodied and, like, on drugs. And this is at 5 And had confronted... Uh, this person who came to yeah, see what the, the noise complaint yes. was about, yeah. About 15 minutes later, Sid reportedly staggered to another room of the resident of the hotel who reported him to be bloody, but that person refused to be identified. I only saw that in one or two sources, that part. Question. So, when the bellhop Kenneth was like, got into it with Sid, do they, is it like mentioned if they like went into the hotel room or it was it just like in the it, hallway? It kind of seemed like almost in the doorway. Okay. Um, I feel like that's important. Yeah, definitely. According to the autopsy report, uh, Nancy was stabbed between 6 and 7 a.m. and died between 8 and 10 a.m. Around 7.30, Sid and Nancy's next-door neighbor, who also reported like hearing a lot of fights between the two just over the time that they mm-hmm. had lived there, she stated that she heard moaning in a woman's voice who, quote, sounded like she was alone. I don't really know what that meant, but she... She did try to clarify that she told the press that she didn't hear, like, the woman moaning, like, calling out for anyone by name or anything like that. So I think maybe that's why she said 
sounded alone. Yeah. But on the night of Nancy's death, she states that there was no fight that she heard. So it was quiet, like eerily quiet. Quiet Quiet-ish. I mean, there were still those noise complaints from Mm -hmm. Sid, but like in like the very early morning. Yeah. Yeah. Sid claimed that he, uh, in his like official statement, claimed that he woke up in the morning in his bed and he was wet with blood. He had woken up and thought that he had peed himself. Like that's how out of it he was yeah he found nancy sitting on the floor in the same position found by police uh so she was basically in the bathroom in between the toilet and the sink slumped over and half dressed and stabbed in her stomach but there was like it wasn't in her stomach like the knife was like away Right, but she had been stabbed. Yes. In his statement before he left the room, she was breathing, but she did have the stab wound in her stomach, although he said she was breathing, but there was no bleeding, he says in this statement, which I don't really know how you can tell unless you were kind of sitting there looking at her for a while, but whatever. But also he's like so out of it. Right. He, his friends would say that he was trying to like get clean. So there's like methadone clinics and he would... He, at one point, like, started going pretty frequently, and one of his friends said that he would always, no matter what, wake up around 5 a.m. and go to the methadone clinic at, like, 6. Mm -hmm. So then he proceeds, after he finds Nancy, sees that she's breathing with, like, a stab wound, he goes to the methadone clinic. When he got back, he finds Nancy still there. Now, this next detail is kind of what I think fuels, at least for me, the conspiracy that Sid did it. He admitted this in this statement. He proceeded to then wash her down. Quote, I went to wash the blood off of her, but there was too much blood and I couldn't do it. I took the bloody knife off the bed and went to the bathroom and washed it off. Like, why are you doing that? So the knife wasn't even near her at this point, but she obviously had lost so much blood that she She died. Yeah, she didn't move. And in all reports, this stab wound was not very deep. Oh. Which is almost more troubling to me. I don't really know. That must have taken so long for her to, to bleed out like yeah. that. You know what I mean? But again, like I said earlier, they had done like knife play or like cutting themselves or cutting each other like during sex. So maybe the sight of her with like a kind of deep-ish cut like mm-hmm. on her like wasn't that quote super unquote, wasn't troubling. Bleeding, at least for something's wrong. Something's wrong. You know? Yeah. Like raised alarm for him. Right. And also and he was totally like, out of it. Yeah. So, um, wait, question. Yes. Cause she was, he found her in the same position that the police found her Yeah. in the bathroom. Yes. Is there like any forensic evidence to show that she maybe walked from someplace to the bathroom where she ended up or did everything kind of happen in the bathroom? I'll get into that. Okay. Around 9 a.m., an outside caller reports to the front desk that there's, quote, trouble in room 100, their room. Mm -hmm. Around that same time, Sid also said that he called the desk and told them that his girlfriend was hurt and that she needed an ambulance right away. Mm -hmm. When police and paramedics arrived, he was deemed immediately a suspect (laughs) because this was also troubling to me. At first, like, when there weren't a lot of police, like, directly on the scene quite yet, police did let the press or some press like into the actual room no um they were told not to take any pictures but they could quote just look are they stupid that's like a whole that's like policing 101 i know but that's it what was like it was also was like the 70s for. so like that was when people were like no gloves or anything <laughs> 
Let me just handle this with my bare hands. Yeah. So um, one photographer uh, notes that when he entered the room, when like there was just like a few policemen there, he described the room as very chaotic, messy, and smelled awful. He he knew that this wasn't like the smell of decay because obviously it was like very recent. But like he said that this was very notable because of like this was showing the way they lived, you know, like how they... Yeah. And all of this press, like being able to come in and out was before even the chief medical examiner even arrived. Yeah. No, they're letting them just like wreak havoc and yes. Trump. And I don't know if it was like a ton of press, but like obviously like a few like got word of like what was going on. Literally more than one is too many. I agree. Then you've already ruined the crime scene. Or even one, honestly. Exactly. Just like just one, one is too many. Yeah. After that, Sid was arrested. Right right on the scene and was taken out. And a lot of people reported that he kind of really didn't seem to know what was going on. Like he was just kind of like, what the fuck? So now I'm going to kind of get into some theories. Okay. I'm going to start with the theory that Sid did in fact kill Nancy. Okay. There was a neighbor that stated Sid came out of the scene and heard him say, quote, I killed Nancy. I killed Nancy. The gossip around the hotel seemed to be like he was questioning like I killed Nancy so it was kind Mm. of like already misconstrued like even right from the bat besides confessing the homicide to literal detectives in charge Sid also confessed to a journalist and photographer Joe Stevens quote I stabbed her but I didn't mean to kill her I loved her but she treated me like shit he explained right after this fight right after his fight with the bellboy Mm -hmm. Kenneth West he returned to his room where he then had an argument with Nancy in another statement made by Sid she smacked him on the nose just where Kenneth West had punched him so Sid pulled out his knife to threaten her but Nancy leaned forward and was stabbed accidentally how many times was she stabbed just once okay it was just once and again it wasn't that deep she just bled out yeah, but also leaned forward in. I don't know. I just like I don't know, dude. I yeah, accidents like that could happen, but yeah. also like yeah, yeah. He was quoted saying, "Well, he did have a fight last night, and she hit me, and I punched her on top of that, and she fell onto the bed." People say like, with he probably didn't realize like the severity of the wound, and they both fell asleep on the bed, making the hemorrhage fatal yeah sid claims that he woke up and went to his methadone clinic leaving nancy unattended for some hours detective thomas who was like one of the lead detectives on this case didn't think that was the case because he said quote how the hell could she have left the bed to the bathroom after losing that much blood later adding it's impossible which i don't get either i think that's like a big how and why did she move why is she in the bathroom that's really yeah, like because that's where is my that big because question... like he washed her like did he maybe like move her to be washed? But he says that he like didn't he found her in the bathroom like that. It's very unclear like how she got from the bed to the bathroom, but the knife was in the bed, the blood was in the bed, but she was in the bathroom. And he said like when he saw her in the bathroom, like she wasn't bleeding. Yes, but so... he said that she was still breathing. Right, breathing but not bleeding. Yes. So one would think that him washing her was in fact before he quote unquote found her. Oh, I see. Yeah. Because that Mm -hmm. would leave her clean but slumped on the floor versus like if she, and that, that's the other thing too. It's like if he saw her, then, you know, that she's all bloodied and whatnot, then theoretically he could have like picked her up. Yeah. And, you know, walked her to the bathroom, which would 
keep her from making like you know a little trail that would show that she was in like two places right um and i think he also i know he was like kind of like on drugs when maybe not when he made all of these statements but when he made a lot of like the initial mm-hmm. confessions i guess mm-hmm. he i think then on started to doubt himself in all kinds of aspects because on one side there were people who were supporting him saying like you would never do this Mm -hmm. and there were other people being like I'm scared of you kind of thing but he would be like maybe I was just like so fucked up that I did it and I didn't even realize or like kind of like that but then later on he ends up trying to um recant the confession no recent no recant Uh, no. Nope. Yeah. Um he I know which word you're he, he tries to go back on. He it. tries to go back on his confession. Retract. Retract. That's what it is. Not um, recant. But also like I'll just say from that conspiracy that he was the one that did it. Mm-hmm. All in all, it doesn't seem like malicious intent. Yes, their relationship was tumultuous and all this other stuff, but like if he is you know, they have like an argument and he like pulls this out and it's like, you know, not very deep and all this stuff. But he's like, I recall like washing her and like yeah. checking on her and all this stuff. Yeah. Like, it seems like if anything, he's being just negligent and stupid. Yeah. And a lot of people, even his own friends would call him like very naive and very yes. like, like, like vulnerable and very just like obviously so in the trenches of his addiction and not only his addiction, his this two sided, very abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Like they both sucked in this relationship. Yeah, like absolutely. so bad. I'm not trying to defend either one of them no. because on all accounts, they both were abusive to each yeah, other. Absolutely. You know, but it's interesting. What I'm saying is that like, cause he, he goes on this story where he's like, you know, I brought it out. Maybe she leaned into it like all these things like he's clearly there are other people who are like maybe she just laid on the bed and like it stabbed her there or something like that and he's like I I do this thing where you know I go out to this methadone clinic and it's it's very routine for him but he's also not like second guessing it and it's also not like he's trying to prove that that's like his alibi he's like not even thinking in those terms which leads me yeah exactly so which means he like leads me to you know back up the fact that if he did do this he is just you know a victim of his addiction and yeah. is extremely naive and out of it and stupid yeah. because of you know that in this situation where it honestly mattered most yeah which led in this horrible accident but like to to play devil's advocate yeah i didn't even mention like half the crazy very out of pocket shit that he did publicly privately not only to nancy he would also do this to like strangers or like acquaintances like he smashed bottles in people's heads and like fucking you know mm, so like it's impossible to retract my yeah <laughs> well no it's just like he obviously has a history of violent outbursts. violent outbursts and and again that could be and probably is because of this drug use not Absolutely. to say that all people like who no go through the addiction but to like, have but an like, outburst in which he would actually kill her would not be a surprising thing that's what i'm yeah exactly that's what i'm saying another theory is that they had a suicide pact and he just like backed out on it it was like he was to kill her and then he was to kill himself kind of thing but then like killed her and then backed out on himself Damn. there was like a source or two that um stated sid had earlier confided in them about a suicide pact that nancy was trying to talk him into and nancy again like was known for being like just she had she was suicidal like, yeah and you said like outwardly majority of her suicidal life. yeah and like yeah. people knew that about her so i don't know how how true that is you know it's just like a few people and mm-hmm. like i don't know yeah so apparently nancy was trying to talk him into this like suicide pact and the conspiracy is that he like killed 
Nancy chickened out. The lack of like hesitation wounds and the fact that the knife had been withdrawn from her body after inflicting the wound indicated that she almost definitely didn't commit suicide herself. Yeah. But it is also, I don't know, that that part is also weird to me. I'm like, she didn't, there's no, again, it's just like this small... It's, I don't know. It's so... A friend of Sid's, Victor Colicchio, mm-hmm. he is quoted saying, if you were to tell me or anybody that they both committed suicide in some grand, spectacular fashion, we would have believed it. But nobody, including myself, that knew them, believed that he killed her. Almost no people in his on his end, believe that he would be able to do anything like that. But these are also the people that saw him, like, have these violent outrages. Yeah. Hmm. So, let's see. Other other theories. You know, I said earlier that it was reported in a few sources that there could have been, like, a lot of people coming in and out. I saw, like, one or two articles where people were talking about, like, it's possible robbery because there was, I think, on one of the police reports, there was, like, a large amount of cash missing from them. Like, I don't... Again, I don't know. Like, how do they know that? I don't know. True. And they also, you said they were dealing, like they were doing drug deals like exactly. beforehand. So they could have very easily just used that money. Yeah. Rocket's red glare was obviously another, I don't want to say he was another suspect because the police didn't really look at anyone else. Other than th- Sid. Other than Sid. But like in the theory, in the all the conspiracy theories, Rocket's red glare, that fight that Rocket's and Nancy mm-hmm. had while they were making that drug deal. And just the fact that he specifically, they all hated her. They They did not want her around. They didn't want her around Sid. They didn't want her to be alive, really. And like, admittedly, they didn't care about her life at all. I can, you know. So there was another man that Rocket's Red Glare placed on the scene. Apparently his name is Steve Kinkati. Kinkati. Red Glare identified... Steve as uh, Sid and Nancy's regular Quaalude and Tuanol dealer, and remember, like he took a bunch of Qu- mm-hmm. Tuanol. Red Glare states that he saw Steve enter the elevator up to their hotel just before five a.m. There was another man who lived in the hotel who knew basically everyone in the hotel, yeah. who was interviewed in the documentary, who was like. I have people watched in this hotel. I know all the residents. I've seen people come in and out. I've never heard or seen of a man named Steve. No one knows what he looks like or like whatever. Interesting. So um, other than Red Glare, they have not been able to find or meet anyone that knew of Steve or had met him. Okay. But also like this guy's a drug dealer. So maybe that's, I don't know. Like True. it's just like kind of, but like, yeah. Skip Wayne was also, there's a theory that he's involved. Um, He's just described as like a roadie, another drug Mm -hmm. dealer. Again, like kind of a robbery, drug deal gone wrong type thing. There's a lot of those theories that, I don't know, don't make the most sense. Like in theory, yes, but when the details are kind of laid out, they don't really make sense to me. Well, I'm still like, my head is still reeling about this like Rockets drug deal with Nancy because like they had the drug deal. Yes. And that was so much earlier. Yeah. Then when all this went down, so what, like, he's still butthurt about the quote-unquote argument that they have, so much so that he's got to, like, come back and... I don't know. It could have been, like, a straw that broke the camel's back because, again, like, he had, like, a history of hating her, Mm -hmm. like, that much, you know? So, yeah. Those are, like, kind of, like, the main theories. I'm sure there's plenty more and a lot of things that I didn't get into. Those are just, like, the ones that just kept coming up, at least for me, and and kind of seem the most plausible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just talk about, like 
Sid after the death of Nancy. He's in jail. He had lawyered up pretty heavily. And his team felt like they had had a good case to defend him. So after he like retracts this Mm -hmm. confession, he pled... I saw in a few articles, he either pled not guilty or he was going to attempt to plead insanity. Okay. So either way. Either way, not guilty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sid then posted bail in this documentary. They say that a lot of people, like a lot of his friends didn't really want him to be out of jail because in there he was sober. He was detoxing. He was, couldn't get into trouble. Yeah. Yeah, Like he was safer in there, Mm -hmm. which I, I I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, So his team and like his lawyers were saying like, it doesn't look good if we don't bail you out. It doesn't look good on you, especially if like you're about to have a trial, if we don't bail you out, especially yeah. if we have the funds. Sid obviously eventually posted bail and then went to go live with his mother awaiting trial. So he's back in the UK. No, I think she had become she had come to the US at this okay. point, if I'm not mistaken. Out on bail, Sid was reportedly crying all the time, doubting if he had done it or not. You know, like I was saying earlier, like, what if I was so fucked up? Like, yeah. I could have done it, not even known it. Out on bail, Sid attempts suicide and then is put on, like, suicide watch. But a short time after Nancy's death, he starts hanging out or dating this girl named Michelle uh, Robison. And a friend of Nancy states, quote, I said to her, Michelle, you know the jury is still out and they don't even know if this guy is guilty or not. You know you're hanging out with a potential murderer here. What are you doing? Like, watch yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Michelle apparently, like, went back to Sid and told him about this conversation between Nancy's friend and Michelle. And Sid reportedly came up to the friend and said, quote, shut your freaking mouth about me or you might find yourself in a ditch. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. (laughs) So there's also another incident while he was out on bail. It's like called the Ska Fish incident. Ska Fish is like a band. Oh, okay. So, (laughs) yeah. I think the lead of Ska Fish, or like he goes by Ska Fish, he states that Sid Vicious came to one of their shows while he was out on bail. He was standing in front of the stage, staring intensely, making wild and goofy gestures towards their guitarist and vocalist Karen Winter, which was already pretty off-putting, I guess, for them. He then began to flirt with a female drum roadie named Tara. There was a confrontation between Sid and the drummer where he was like, can you not hit on my girlfriend or like can you like wait until the end of the show at least or something Mm -hmm. like that because like Tara had stuff to to do for the band or whatever due to this confrontation Sid Vicious quote totally unprovoked took a beer bottle he was holding and smashed it over his face and the guy his name is Todd Smith it's Patty Smith's brother (gasps) yeah so yeah so this ends up turning into a brawl obviously this was a violation of his parole and he ended up returning back to jail. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he then post jail again. I'm assuming he had to go through detox again. I don't know yeah. if he was doing drugs in between that time. Okay. So he post bail again. He was at a concert and parties, like reportedly having a great time, laughing, singing, dancing. Like he's sober. So right. like I'm assuming they saw like this whole new side of him, but they were like, look how great he's doing, you know? Like, yeah. You know. Look how great you're doing. Yeah. You're on trial for killing your girlfriend yeah and you're doing great right now yeah and he has a new girlfriend that he's now living with i think yeah so Mm. Mm -hmm. he was having like a party i saw 
that it was, you're free, Sid, party. <laughs> you're free. And one of the people at the party was actually in this uh, documentary. documentary. Sorry, I keep talking about it. It's just no, like, this is it's a, good a lot source. of stuff. I didn't like him like most of the documentary because he just kind of seemed like a jackass. Like, honestly, he was just saying shit. And I was like, what are you saying, dude? Yeah. Um, but he was at this party. This friend. Yes, this friend. Just before midnight, fashion photographer Peter Gravel uh, arrives with a known DJ, unnamed, uh, to yeah. the apartment on 63 Bank Street, where they're having the party uh, with heroin the purity with a purity of 80 to 98 percent i saw a few different numbers jeez very pure yeah, very, very strong potent. and there were people at that party who were like regular users and even were like that's super strong and i just want to make a like a note that although sid had been going through very very heavy drug use he wasn't at this time when he was at this party. So he had been detoxed. He had been not really doing drugs. So a lot of people who are going through addiction, especially with like things like opiates and stuff like that, mm -hmm. they, when they relapse or when they start doing drugs again, like they'll take like their quote normal dose and it will be too much for their body because they haven't, they, their tolerance is gone basically. Right, yeah. Um, but even, even for the people whose tolerances were high, this, that this amount is insane. Yeah. According to a few of the friends there, he had like overdosed and like was kind of going in and out of consciousness. They had to deal with him, but then what? eventually kind of like came out of it and was like, basically like, can I have more? What? Yeah. You so, can come out of an overdose? Yeah. He kind of tried to like laugh it off and he oh, was like, gosh. sorry, everyone, whatever. And then soon after that, like once they kind of were like, okay, he's like breathing, they left. The party was over kind of thing. What? Later that night... Sid overdosed and died on that same heroin. A lot of reports said that Sid's mother was actually the one to not only give the fatal dose, but administer it. No. Yeah. So his mother was like staying overnight in like an adjoining room. And like, it's widely speculated. She also died of an overdose, like not too long like After. a few years later, obviously she can't really refute those claims, yeah. but just like based on her history and That's like, terrible. yeah, so yeah, no one will really know like what exactly happened because I think he was like, if, if not alone, like maybe just only like a few people or whatever. So yeah, it honestly, it sounds just like a toxic environment of a lot of people who are willing to like point fingers at yes everyone else instead of like you know take accountability of like hey like I also contribute to this toxic community which is why this toxic community exists yeah and like the consensus of all of these articles and even like on wikipedia was like the death of this couple like mm -hmm. marked the the end of the dark nihilistic side of punk mm. because they were just so both of them honestly were like caricatures of yeah. like they're like okay guys if you want to if you movement. want to idolize this type of lifestyle and this attitude and this persona here's what it is and here's how it ends yeah really what it is is like punk went kind of more mainstream mm -hmm. chased money and success at the expense of like the moral values like such as like authenticity that is like the foundation of the punk movement right you know uh, you know not everyone thinks that that's like the death of punk but like that side I of punk yes yeah lester bangs is quoted saying sid and nancy were probably two of the most pathologically tortured humans on the face of the earth which i think is just good sum up to the, their relationship yeah after sid died nancy's case was just dropped and they didn't look into anyone Any anymore other like they were just kind of like well we can't try them so later 
you know? Jeez, that's, that's like, a shame. Which is sad. So Nancy was buried in, like, a Jewish cemetery. After Sid died, apparently, like, I guess, like, Sid wanted his ashes or, like, wanted his body with Nancy. And so, oh. allegedly, like, his mom called Nancy's parents and mm-hmm. were like, can we do something like this or whatever? And they were like, fuck no. You yeah, know, like, literally fuck no. you guys. Even if like there was no controversy of like how she died and he wasn't like involved, she's in a Jewish cemetery. He's not Jewish. Like the, even even just that is like enough. Like you Yeah. A bunch of his friends, including that guy who's mm-hmm. in this documentary, like who was at the party. Did they break into the cemetery? So they went on this <gasps> no. long they went on this long road trip to sprinkle his ashes onto Nancy's grave. One of his mm. friends, the one that I didn't like in the documentary, yeah. proclaimed that he snorted some of his ashes. And he laughs about it, like as he's telling the story, like, you know, I thought everyone else was gonna do it. We were joking about it, and I actually did it. I was the only one that did it. I was like, you are crazy. Cray cray boy, come on now. So when they got there, his mom was also with this like group of people. His mom was wanted she wanted to go alone. She broke into the cemetery and was the one to put his ashes supposedly on her grave again against the wishes of her family. Yeah. And just like common decency. (laughs) Deface a grave like that that is yeah. so uh, that i think is just like so even after death like she's just like disrespect i don't know yeah i i know that she was reported just like not to be that great of a person you know they were both tortured individuals like they mm-hmm. had their set of issues not unlike a lot of other punk and rock rockers out there right you know like there's there's many a many a story of all these other rockers specifically males yeah having these types of abrasive personalities and like troubles and like oh they're so tortured but that's like part of their draw to people almost yeah. and it was so hard to find articles and sources that weren't completely like 100% of the blames on her it just like made me feel for her and like I didn't know her I didn't I don't Mm -hmm. know like how much of what is true or what what's not what's missing whatever but I just think also because I am like an obnoxious loud woman yeah. that I have like I'm just kind of like what and I think it's also I feel for her too because I wonder like you said there are plenty of rockers in the spotlight that embodied the same attitude mm-hmm. and persona as her and she's a woman which I think also means... the fact that she was like she was not sorry for being like no. a sex worker she told it like it was like she was mm-hmm. really abrasive like she obviously had a lot of issues but again like there were people that were friends with her there were people that were like you know some people are just like that you know and some people like can be around it and some people mm-hmm. can't and it was just like weird to me that in this movement of punk that she was just still so like ostracized Yeah, and I think what I also might be led to think and what makes this even more tragic is that in a way I feel like she's a product of her environment in the sense that when you are hated by so many people and you are like told, like she was put down by everyone in that scene because it was either Not even that, but even just like throughout her childhood Exactly, every every sphere of her life she has been put down. So how do you expect someone who is under that pressure and that scrutination especially someone who scrutination i don't think scrutiny scrutination scrutination the punk attitude is so willing and able to rebel Mm -hmm. like 
oh, you think that I'm this way? No, well, I'm going to go all in on this now Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Well, and I think like her crass nature and her, you know, that hard exterior, I would develop that too as just like a mere coping mechanism to deal with the fact that apparently you are the root of everyone else's problems. Yeah, but it, and it also just like brings in, again, like I was saying in the beginning, like I just have a hard time believing that these women are like the problems for these male musicians. I'm sorry. I just really have a hard time believing it. Obviously in this case, they were really egging each other on Mm -hmm. like with their problems, with how tortured they were, with mentalities of like, it's me or us against the world. Right. But it's just, it's very clear to me that he probably would have done all of these drugs, probably would have been just as depressed, just as whatever, if she wasn't around. Like, if anything, right. he'd probably find someone very similar to connect to, and, like, she would have been the brunt of right. that. You know what I mean? Like, and... There was a lot of, there was a, I think it was maybe in like the Rolling Stones article that I cited. She was compared later on to like Courtney Love, uh, Courtney and Kurt Cobain's mm-hmm. relationship. And I don't know. And maybe I'm just like defending her too much. Like maybe that's problematic of me. I don't no, know. I it's just, just think like, it's like, it's more so like not her herself. I'm just like, it's like the mentality that I feel like I keep seeing over and yeah, over and over you again. You can't ignore it's just the like hard yeah, to like look at You can't at that. ignore the fact that it's like if you have two individuals who are exact in like, you know, fame status, Mm -hmm. personality, you name it. You put two people the same, but one is a man and one is a woman. Society and pop culture and the judgment of others and the blame game of others is going to weigh heavily on one party, heavier than it is on the other. And that is always the side of the woman or the minority. It's, It's never going to be on the man yeah watching this documentary with all of his friends yes mm-hmm. there were her friends in there as well like mm-hmm. i appreciated that they would talk about her more highly but like i just had a hard time with his friends and like associates calling him so sweet and like they called him like witty and charming and naive like all those like really nice words she just from the get-go was immediate. the way her mom described her dude I'm very surprised that for a community that rejects social standards and systems, that they would be so quick to do what society has done forever. That's what I said earlier. That's what I mean. Yeah, it's literally weird. And a lot of like her reputation was like from the other groupies that she would be around, which is like a bunch of other women. Yeah. And like I, I, and I think (laughs) I know, I know, and it's so frustrating. And I think that you know, in essence and in thought, like the pop the punk movement then as far as like you know their drive and like you know their inspiration Mm -hmm. for like you know wanting to become a community was in the right place yeah but I only like I love punk culture now and like that whole it still thrives and it's great and I love it because everyone is actually woke as fuck like they're actually in it for the right reasons everyone back then they were all the posers that they were trying not to be no some of them there was like were like calling out these injustices Mm -hmm. Which I do appreciate, but I think a lot of the time it was, uh, especially with the Sex Pistols, they were just like being absurd to be absurd. Yeah, I sorry, I should have clarified that this group of individuals specifically that we've yes. been talking about, yeah. they were in it for the aesthetic. 
Yeah. And it was a part of that guy's plan to create an image and to create a movement. But in that, he created these like hollow individuals that weren't there for the right reasons. And, you know, like that quote that you said about Sid Vicious being like the kamikaze pilot and everyone was so willing to just strap him in and let him go. The audience, it's, it's the media, so obvious. They, yeah, everyone. they encouraged him so heavily to be as damaged as possible Mm -hmm. for the sake of being punk yeah for the sake of that and and so everyone was seeing this downward spiral and being like i don't want to say turning a blind eye because they were like there and they were just like oh that is so punk yeah it was just it's so that's so a part of this like whole thing that's just like oh man like Hey, he's suicidal. Nah, he's just like so punk. Like he's, just, he's so into he his hates the world, you know. Like don't we all? And you get someone like Nancy mixed up in this, and it's just a f- dumpster fire. It's obviously a terrible story, just as a whole, because both of them again are just like extremely damaged individuals mm-hmm. that found each other at like a pretty integral point in their life. Mm-hmm. And only fueled the flame for each other. They were so young. They were 20 years old. All this stuff you don't know at 20 and 19. And it also, it's tragic, Sid going out the way that he did. Yeah, it is. All of it. It's so terrible. Yeah, whack. Sorry, I don't really have a lighter note to end that on. But I'm glad that you're so passionate about this too. Isn't it crazy? The tortured artist and all these other crazy. I know it's not uncommon that we see. No, it's not. And for people to be like almost encouraging people's damage for the art, or like it's like whatever it makes them more of a musician or more of less an of artist or all these yeah. things it's so it's it's, a, it's, it's scary. frustrating <laughs> and it's annoying and it's stupid and i'm happy though that we're growing out of it I because think so i too. think the lighter note to leave on this one uh, at least my little learning moment yeah but not even because we already fucking knew this yeah. but check on your friends Again. Check on your stuff. I don't think that your mental health and your well-being in your relationships of others should, you know, I don't think any sort of art should jeopardize that. Your well-being. Your well-being, exactly. Yeah. And if you are that passionate about your art or you feel like that's like all you have and all this other stuff, valid to feel that, absolutely. But also reach out. Just like yeah. if you see someone like that, human connection is such an important thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these musicians and stuff that like feel the need to, you know, they have all these like terrible experiences with human connection, like growing up in Mm -hmm. in their childhood and all this other stuff that like leads them like behavioral wise, like socially, like the list goes on and on to like act or feel a certain way towards people in general. Yeah. And it's weird because even his friends said that like they didn't even think he really had that much of a love for being a musician. It was more like he had a love for like the lifestyle and the Mm -hmm. scene and you're getting affirmation in some way or another which is like what the body is like picking up on a lot of people said about nancy like she was just like she wanted to be known she Mm -hmm. wanted to have all the attention in the room and even people said that about sid they both just wanted to be like there and like known and appreciated and like loved and i think that's why they gravitated towards each other so much because they really like filled a void in each other and i think you know i think music communities especially the punk community now it's more inclusive at least like at yeah not harboring bad habits you know as we were talking about in this story and all like well i will say not to call any bands out by name 
I won't do it. A lot we of We can the, play a rhyming game. Yeah, literally. A lot of <laughs> a lot of the punk scene, even today, even to bands that I listen to as mm-hmm. like a middle schooler or anything, have a lot of allegations against them, not only with some form of abuse, but like with young girls. Again, I'm not naming any names. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. But I believe women. So Yeah, yeah, um, we do. Sorry, Maybe I was so just like, reading something about one of my favorite or ex-favorite bands as like a teen that like more stuff is like coming out about them. And I was just like, again, really? You? It's just like... Please, why you? I know. It's just unfortunately okay. not that surprising. No. But I also but say... I, I also think, like, I do agree with you that I think like... I think at least the fan base is yes, getting better. I do. And I think that obviously there are good apples in there mm-hmm. and not all of them are like fucking yeah piece i feel of like shit. just like as a but like as a whole as a whole you know? with like the new wave of musicians like we're thankfully a little bit more like self-aware yeah. and a, like you know responsive to I think just people hurting and growing and all that yeah. stuff yeah i think we're getting to be in a different place which is good but i hope so just if you see like a toxic theme happening within your realm of music don't perpetuate it. Like it's totally cool to like change the status quo. Yeah, we're be talking, that kind of punk. We're to change you. that. You know don't, who you are. Don't be creepy. You know, just be decent. Check on your friends. Be decent. Love whatever music you want. Just like just stop being an asshole. Stop. Um. Yeah. yeah. I'm talking to you, who <laughs> like to work with. <laughs> fuck you guys. I'm bleeping all of that. <laughs> <laughs> but I am. <laughs> Anyways. That was kind of incredible. I don't want I'm, to believe that. <laughs> it's our responsibility as musicians to create a productive environment for all involved. So not only productive, but just like make them feel welcomed and safe. And I think more people don't realize that there are little changes with how they interact with people and other musicians affects the whole industry between mm-hmm. musicians yeah. so greatly. Greatly. Value your friends as friends. Value your friends as musicians. But also value them and respect them enough to... Call them out. Call them out. Hold them accountable. There's a million good musicians out there. There's a lot a of them good have not done shitty that are things. Respectable. You can work with them. Yeah, you can work with them. Do not perpetuate bad stereotypes. Yeah. Got them. And period. And period. Yes. All right. Well, that was really good. I'm really happy you did that one. That <sighs> was well you. done. You think so? Oh, I'm I so happy it. you think so. Ooh-hoo. Do you see how riled up I am? That's I know. How I, I know am it's too. Good. But I think that this raised some good questions and that's what we're just trying to do here. We're raising good yeah. questions. Yes. That's the most punk. <laughs> anyways anyway well thank you for listening yeah thank you so much for listening thank you for all the support all your kind words it really means a lot interaction it means so much that other people like want to support us just because yeah it's beautiful and we're fun to listen to i'll say it look at us maybe that's a little bit cocky yeah cocky of me (laughs) just a little bit obsessed (sighs) yeah all right. Well, well um, we will see y'all. See you guys. Next week. Next week. Love you. Love you. Love you. Stay away from evil Elmo. I, I'll say that every that time. Again. I'm I sorry. No, that can't be our catchphrase, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Done. <laughs>
you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you think on our Twitter or Instagram at Record Crimes Pod. Have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast? Send us an email at recordcrimespod at gmail.com. Thank you.